This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. Another great week talking smallmouth, talking with the top 52 smallmouth bass anglers in the country. You know, we talk to a lot of big name pros that are on the major circuits, to a lot of local uh, hammers that are really good on, you know, small bodies of water and just dominate the tournament scene. We had some awesome guides on the show as well. A whole variety of people. And I hope you guys are are learning as much as as I have been throughout the uh, Throughout this whole project, I certainly appreciate everybody listening on all the podcast platforms as well as uh, visual here on on the YouTube channel. We're having a, I'm having a blast doing it. I know you guys uh, appreciate all this great information coming your way. Today's guest is no different. Uh, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and fished uh, uh, primarily walleyes growing up on on the Lake Winnebago system. And when I decided to switch over and get involved in bass fishing. You know, I started doing the research and although the Bay of Green Bay and, and Lake Michigan was really in my backyard, less than an hour, hour and a half drive for me, I, I just did not have a lot of experience. So of course I would try to find out as much information as I could back in the day. Uh, believe it or not, we had internet back then and Dale Strohshine's name kept coming up as far as, you know, just you, you, when you got involved with bass fishing and, and some of the guys that that do really well and, and can catch fish on a consistent basis up there. His name kept popping up and in, in different websites and of course on TV. And so I felt like, uh, like I, I knew him before I actually met him. Uh, and we've, we worked the Bassmaster classic quite a few times together. And so it's uh, awesome to be able to bring him on this podcast and really dig into the diverse fisheries found up on the Bay of green Bay. Uh, primarily what's what's called Door County for those that are not familiar with it, as well as Lake Michigan. It's my home home body of water. It's 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 my home state. So I'm excited to be able to talk to Dale. And just like that, he pops on the screen. How are you doing today, Dale? <laughs> well, <clears throat> Travis, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm doing really good. Thank you. I uh I, I hate to be like a Debbie Downer, but you know, I I just got home the other day and you know things are going really good for 2021. And if I don't lose my dog um, of 11 and a half years, and it's, it's been a, that's been a struggle. You never realize how much love uh, a dog brings into your life until you actually lose them. So that, that's been a little bit of a struggle, but Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I'm doing really well, man. And thank you for having me here today. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, but we are excited to, uh, to talk with you, Dale. I mean, like I said, in the intro growing up, you were on my television set. You were out there making shows and and catching these big smallmouth. Like the sole reason why I started to fish for smallmouth, and especially the pattern of of shallow sight fishing smallmouth when they're cruising, it, it's a it's it's a way of fishing that I just fell in love with, and I contribute a lot of that to watching you go out there. And I can't tell you how many times I would see you just catch i had no idea where you were right i knew you're up in door county doing your thing i didn't know i had no idea but all i knew is 
This dude's out there catching big, giant smallmouth in eight feet of water or less in August. And it just blew my mind, and it got me really, really excited. So I definitely want to talk about that pattern uh, with you as well. But if you could, just give give the uh, viewers and, and listeners a little bit of background about yourself, Dale. Well, you know, it's interesting, Travis, that uh, you had mentioned earlier here right in the intro that this is kind of your home water and you've been and, and born and raised here. And that's the same for me. Um, I've been very blessed. You know, I, I, I grew up here. It's interesting because I started originally when I was fishing when I was a young man, before I was getting into all of this uh, that we're doing today, all I did was chase smallmouth. And uh, I loved the smallmouth. I'd ride my bike down the lagoon. Uh, I'd fish from dark to dark. And I couldn't wait to do it again the next day. And 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 I still remember today one of the highlights of, of my infantile stages of bass fishing. I remember throwing a number 11 Rapala hmm. and catching two smallmouths, one on the front and one on the back hmm. hook. And I I thought I died and gone to heaven, you know, and I, I didn't think it could get any better. And so I really was a bass fisherman at heart, you know, growing up here in Door County. But then all of a sudden these guys started showing up up here. Uh, Dick Stilley, Gary Parsons, Keith Tobias. There was these guys showing up with these big, deep boats and they were going out in the dead of night. And I was wondering what they were doing. And here they were always going out and chasing walleyes. So I got hooked on chasing these big marble eyes, if you will, in the dead of night, ended up going to college, pursuing that as a career, fishing competitively, Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri, New York, Montana, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, North South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Canada. And then all of a sudden, I just kind of came to a crossroads. You know, my family owned a resort up here. Being a competitive angler, it's no secret that it's very challenging on your family life. And uh, I, I felt my dad, my dad was, you know, he came up to me one day and he said, listen, he said, you know, your mother and I started this resort here back in 61. You didn't know this, but I'm telling you today that uh, I want you to take on our legacy. Hmm. And so that really hit me, you know, I mean, that's, that means a lot to me. Family is everything. And uh, so I had to make a decision to either competitive fish, continually keep competitive fishing or, you know, just continue guiding, which I had been doing already through all those competitive years. And by the way, I've been guiding now for 35 years. And um, so I decided to get out of competitive fishing. And it's funny because all of a sudden Sturgeon Bay got recognized as this bass mecca, you know, uh, BASS showed up. And all these tournaments were coming every other weekend. And it really changed my whole dynamics of my guide service because here I was knowing, you know, I caught a world record walleye back in 19, uh, March 21st of 1991 or 92. And, uh, you know, I had set records on the walleye trails. And so people were really always coming to my guide service for walleye. But everything changed. And this year, it was just crazy stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally, Travis, went from running 70% walleye trips throughout my entire career, and then 30% smallmouth, maybe 35% smallmouth, 65% walleye, to almost 90% uh, smallmouth now today, and 10% walleye. And um, so it, it's been a great ride. Um, this smallmouth fishery, as you talked about, 
is absolutely incredible. I mean, the size of these fish, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's so funny because when I first started, you know, these fish ranged about three and a half, four pounds, which are good quality fish anywhere you go in the country. And uh, you'd get an occasional four, one that maybe tipped five. But now what we're seeing is just ridiculous. I mean, five's pretty steadily, six, sevens, eights. Uh, we will see a state record. Uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind. So fishing is a great outlet, but it's also a great sport, and uh, which I absolutely cherish every day that I have. And doing things like this with individuals like yourself it is an honor, Travis, to watch you. You know, you're younger than I am. I hate to, you know, I'm getting older. And I love when I see guys like yourself take a passion which I try to encourage with the guys that I've mentored in my guide service and pursue this as a career. Because when you pursue something like this, that you're so passionate about, that we're so passionate about Travis, it doesn't become work. And for you to be doing what you're doing today, man, kudos to you because all you're doing is enabling people to understand how great this fishery, this, this sport is and to go out and have a better experience. And we, you know, thanks to uh, what you do as well, because we all, you know, contribute to, you know, allowing people to have a better experience out on the water. All right. Absolutely, man. That was uh, a great intro. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. I, I, I do want to bring up, I mean, for a lot of people, I mean, 35 years of guiding, I, I got to ask this question because I'm real curious when, when you started fishing, you know, Door County waters, and you, you talked about the size, you know, three, three and a half pounders. And now it, it, you know, these fish are a lot bigger now. What, when was that change occurred? And what do you, why is that? You think, why, why do these fish get so big now, nowadays? Well, you know, there, there's a couple of things. And one thing that I'd like to say is the efforts like people like yourself or myself do day in and day out. And that is we go out and we show the general public you know, how to pursue these fish and do a better job at it. And what I mean by that is we have very diligently, people like yourself or myself or whoever it might be, Skeet Reese, Gerald Swindle, Mike McClellan, you know, the one thing that we really push very, very diligently is the importance of selective harvesting and, and making the right decision with these fish. And um, so I think that's a big part of it. Today's angler is much more educated than they were yesterday. They're understanding that no matter what the fishery or where the fishery is, it comes down to the anglers making good judgment in order to maintain these fisheries. And then the other thing I contribute Sturgeon Bay to, blowing up to what it is, there's no secret. It's, it's the gobies. Mm -hmm. When the gobies came in, everybody was up in arms and uh, we were all concerned to what was going to happen to this fishery. And uh, I will say that it's it's taken a little bit of a toll on recruitment just because when fish get pulled off the beds, the gobies come in, they eat a lot of the roll. But Mother Nature has a way of of making corrections. And um, and, and it's and it, it's just part of evolution. And uh, so that I'm not too concerned about what I'm what I'm more what I would say is, again, 
when the gobies came in, these things became a delicacy and the fish were targeting these things hard and uh, they, they eat a lot of them. And I, I really believe in my heart of hearts that uh, that's had a lot to do with some of the growth with these fisheries, uh, with the fish here in Sturgeon Bay as well. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think some of these, these areas, let's say, you know, when you were younger out there, you know, 30, 35 years ago, and there's a lot of key structure, of course, on the Bay of Green Bay and, and Lake Michigan, places where these smallies hang out. Are they still on the same areas that they were 30 plus years ago, or has that changed? Yeah, you know, um, honestly, I don't believe the structure and the location of the fish has changed as much as the techniques. Hmm. You know, there's been more change in adaptations and techniques, I would say, than there has been in where fish are actually relating to. The one thing I will say is when the zebra mussels came in, it made pretty easy pickings. And that's why you always saw me up in eight feet of water and less, because if you understand how the zebra mussel works, they can't adhere to rocks in about three feet of water and less. It's too turbulent. And when the zebra mussel first came in and was developing and was adhering to all the rocks, we had a phenomenal crayfish population. And what ended up happening is really the crayfish had no choice other than to move up into the shallow water because the only area they could go where they could hide where they still had cover was in three feet of water and less. Hmm. And um, so that was a big part of why it worked really, really shallow a lot of times because a lot of those fish were up there targeting what they really enjoyed to eat. And that was crayfish. And still today now, I'm just starting to see the crayfish come back. You know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, when we get a smallmouth on, it's always good to have another rod set up, just one sitting in the boat with a tube on it or a, or a, a gets it or something just ready to go. Because many of times you'll get a trailer, you'll hook up, you get this fish chasing. And why they're chasing is because a lot of times when you get these bigger smallmouth on, they give you everything they got when you hook up. I mean, from start to finish. And because of that, they just, they end up regurgitating a lot of what they just did eating. And uh, a lot of times when you do when they do that, if you pitch a tube in there quick or something, down in there, you can get a, you can get two on. Somebody else can, can uh, reap the benefits of that trailer. And uh, I'm still seeing a lot of these fish now here just the last year, which is interesting to me, starting to regurgitate crayfish again, which I haven't seen for probably close to 10 years. Yeah, that sounds like good news. I, I really never put two and two together of how you just explained it with the zebra mussels and those fish, those crayfish up shallow. And that's, you know, it always fascinated me when I, when it, a lot of people don't get to experience that shallow bite on a lot of bodies of water across the country, just because, well, one, sometimes the water isn't as, as clear as you'd like to, to have that. And a lot of times there's certain lakes across the country where these fish just do not go shallow and, you know, most of, most of the times of the year. And so it's a real unique way to fish. If you have that opportunity, of course, Door County's waters are crystal clear at times. Has, have, were, were the waters always that clean 30 no. odd years ago? No, no. Uh, I mean, our, our, I would say average visibility here probably was uh, when I started, boy, four or five feet. 
Wow. You know, now, now we're seeing pretty regularly 15 to 25, you know, so that mm -hmm. that's been a huge change and really is, has made a change in how we fish as well. Right. Now I know one thing, you know, it, it was always, I guess, discouraging, or it was a rule that I disliked because a lot of times I, I, I like to go fishing right away when that ice comes off. And, uh, for years, there was always that, uh, the season just didn't open until that first weekend in May. And I know things have changed now for last year, as well as hopefully moving forward. Are you able to take advantage of that bite? Uh, you know, that pre-spawn when they're first coming up, uh, I, I really want to kind of have you walk me through the different stages starting with pre-spawn and then into the summer months. I want to focus on that, that springtime. I mean, are, are you, are you able to get out there and take advantage of that new rule change? Well, absolutely. That's going to happen. Um, understand that that's something that I never pursued, mm. uh, up until, you know, this is really going to be my first year that I'm going to get to go out and actually explore that and start understanding that. Um, so as of right now, you know, here's what I can tell you. I chase whitefish in the winter and we've learned a lot from the technology that's readily available to us today as anglers. And where I'm going with this, Travis is, you know, you look at an underwater camera, a uh, great tool, by the way. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a club that you should have in your bag, if you will. I refer kind of back to a golf scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, we golfers have a lot of different clubs and there's all these irons and all these clubs, uh, woods. And even though you're a good golfer, there's many a times where some of those clubs will never leave the bag, depending on your shot and your abilities. And uh, fishing's kind of the same way. You got to have all these tools. It's not something you're going to use all the time, but it's something that can help. And the one thing that I've learned is, you know, smallmouth go to their, what makes a smallmouth unique is they're one of the few fish on the Great Lakes that winters in one of the absolute deepest parts of the lake, hmm. and uh, which I find very interesting. And uh, so with that being said, whitefish like the deepest part of the lake as well. They like being in that area. So we've, we'll be out there in March and I, I'll start seeing these smallmouth start showing up Ah. And it's interesting because the one thing I have learned is if you see them tight to the bottom on the camera, they typically wouldn't bite. If you'd see them just about a foot up off the bottom, you'd get them to bite, you know, a lot of times the same things we were using when we were chasing whitefish. Oh, wow. And uh, by the way, that's a lot of fun. You hook up a plug through the ice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but anyhow, you'd start seeing these fish coming in out of the depths. And so smallmouth, what they'll do is a typical pattern, which I'm going to work on is, you know, start to look for that deep water um, relatively close to some structure. And uh, because that's where those fish are going to stage, if you will, before they start sliding up as the water temperatures start warming up as we move into spring. The one thing I can tell you that I've learned about smallmouth and fishing them early in the spring is it takes a lot of patience. Okay. Because yeah. this really requires extremely methodical, slow presentations. I mean, super, super slow. And uh, sometimes you got to let it wait and sit. And uh, in that cold water, and I'm talking like 35, 38 degree water temperatures. And um, in order to get those bites, but man, I'll tell you what, I mean, it is one of the 
best times of the year uh, to target that absolute giant smallmouth right. that so many of us love to be able to catch, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when those when those water temps start to rise, so 50, 55 degrees, they're, they're not quite where they want to be yet or, or, you know, up on the beds and, and whatnot. What's your go-to? I, I assume you're out there quite a bit once once May rolls around. And depending on the weather, it could be a few weeks before we see that spawn. It, it sometimes goes well into June and beyond. Uh, what's your techniques and what are you looking for around that time of the year when that temperature's in that, in those 50 degree range? Well, the, the one thing is uh, finding any type of edges. I like to find edges, you know, uh, where the sand meets the gravel, uh, where a rock bar drops from maybe four to six feet, you know, something like that. You're, you're going to increase your odds on finding a little bit warmer water temperature hmm. and then Find structure, uh, some type of structure. Those are going to be odds-on favorites. And then I would say next would be windblown shorelines are an absolute must. You know, if you've got any wind blowing into an area, that uh, especially when you're dealing with the gin clear water applications that we have here to break up any type of silhouette that we might be casting um, uh, is, is imperative. And uh, that, that can really help, like I said. And then as far as techniques go, uh, one thing that I'm very fond of is a hair jig. Mm -hmm. uh, hair jigs, light, light hair jigs uh, work really, really well, as well as then um, the Ned rig. It's uh, something that I'm going to work uh, or like a, a small grub, you know, with a, with a light jig on the bottom. And a lot of times, believe it or not, throwing it out. Now, again, just so the, the listener understands here, I don't know if this is always applicable to every type of application, uh, meaning dirty water versus clear water. But in clear water applications like this, throwing it out, letting it sit after you made the original cast for a, a good length of time can pay off in big dividends. A lot of, lot of fish. It's amazing to me, how many bites are driven what I truly believe, Travis, in by the original contact of whatever you're throwing that hits the water in these clear water applications. And this is something I will share with the listener. One of the reasons that some of these people do as well as they do in competitive fishing is because they power fish. You look at like Kevin Van Dam, um, some of these guys that are out there. They listen to what the fish tell them. And uh, so what I mean by this is many guys will come up here. First of all, what I see them do in the spring is they're, when, and I'm talking about that, when the bite's just starting to elevate, where it's starting to get pretty good. What I see a lot of guys doing is they're not understanding that the water's still cold, these fish are lethargic, and they're looking for late May types of bites where they're getting casts, where they're getting bit literally like every other cast. Mm -hmm. They work way too fast and they're working too quick. You've got to slow down, pump the brakes and really sit on a piece of structure that I refer to that, you know, is fishy, meaning that you've caught fish there years past and really work that uh, before you just pick up and move. Uh, as quick as you do. And I see 
way too many anglers in the spring of the year. Again, I can't reiterate this enough. They're working way too quickly and they're expecting bites like they get in middle of May when the fish are much more aggressive. Bring it just a little bit, let it sit again, maybe one more time. And in this duration of time, we're talking maybe three minutes now, and I'm going to reel up and cast over. We're, okay. we're too many guys working all the way to the boat. And this is where I talk about power fishing because that bite, I can't tell the listener or the viewer enough that those bites are driven by that descent of that bait. I think they see it as it's even approaching before it hits the water. Uh, you know as well as I do, Travis, I've thrown wacky worms. Love that bite. That's another bite that works really well in the spring. You don't even get the, the, the bail engaged on the rod, on the reel, and the line's talk. And you just didn't miraculously drop it on one. This fish had seen it coming in, and uh, he was right on it right away, you know. Right. So I think these guys are super visual, and that's another thing I want to mention is one thing when you're dealing with clear water applications, I cannot stress this enough. This may be one of the biggest tips. You have got to make super long casts. That, that to me, is one of the if, – if, if you're one of these guys that's casting 20 feet from the side of the boat and you put the boat on the trailer at the end of the day with two bites, you got nobody to blame but yourself. Mm-hmm. You've, got to, you, you've got to set up that rod, get, that re, get the right reel according to what you're doing with the right line. These, the one thing that I've taken away from competitive fishing, Travis, is this. This is so important to me. Every tournament that I ever went to, never in my lifetime, in 15 years of competitive fishing, did I not go to the scales and see fish weighed in. I was that guy that said, oh, it was the weather. It was this. It was that. It's why we didn't get bit. The one thing I've learned is fish always bite. It's up to us to make the adjustments. Hmm. And paying attention to detail cannot be overlooked when it comes down to trying to take your level Take your game to the next level. And uh, this is where where people make mistakes. They'll go out there. They make these short casts the day before. They caught plenty of fish. And then they go out. Conditions are changed. And they don't understand why they're not catching anything. And they continually, because we're all creatures of habit, unfortunately, till we build up a really solid repertoire, if we will, in our arsenal at fishing, to make those days shorter and shorter, those, those outings where we go, uh, where we don't catch anything gets less and less and less because once you get to a point where you build up a solid foundation and you really have confidence in what you do, those days of putting the boat on a trailer with no bites, as you well know, get a lot less. Right. Yeah. Well said. I want to I want to I, I talk about your your hair jig setup because uh, that's a bait you said you use quite a bit. I know it's a very popular choice, especially in clear water. And a lot of times I see anglers that are going to use this bait. A lot of times we think of a eighth ounce or maybe a three thirty second or a one sixteenth. So super, super small. And they get this bait and they're ready to go catch some smallmouth. And they're doing exactly what you just said. They can cast only about 20, 30 feet um, because they don't have the right gear for that bait. Because, I mean, let's face it. It's hard to throw a hair jig way out there unless you're, set up properly. Can you give us some tips on what your, your setup is and, and maybe, uh, you know, how you, how you fish that as well? 
Well, what I what I really like is going with a, a super line. I'm here's another little tip is is not only going with a super line, but make sure uh, that you get a line that you can visually see. Um, I'm not I'm not an advocate of greens or low vis. I want bright orange. I want crystal, which is a, a bright white uh, chartreuse, something I can see. I'm going with a floral carbon leader. Uh, typically, I'm using, uh, if you want to, my go-to line would be a uh, 6-2 fire line. So it's a six-pound test, mm-hmm. a two-pound diameter, and uh, I use the crystal. And then I'm running like either four or six-pound test fluorocarbon leaders on that. And um, and the one thing that I can't stress enough as well is when you're dealing with zebra mussels, people, you have got to be checking your knots and that first six inches of the line about every fifth cast. Because, again, this is a detail that you cannot overlook because, unfortunately, this is a math class where – you you take a math quiz. The teacher says, "Hey, listen, Johnny. You know, uh, you, you got number seven wrong. You go back, you erase it, and make it right." When you break off a five, a six, seven, eight pound smallmouth, number one is if it's your fi- biggest fish ever, you will never forget that the rest of your life. Yep. And you're never going to forgive yourself. And broken lines are inexcusable. You should never break off on a fish. And it, it's it's a lack of paying attention to details what it comes down to. For example, when I'm on these big fish like I am, about, I would say, the seventh, eighth smallmouth, I take that one minute and I retie regardless of line condition. Mm-hmm. Because knots get weakened, and they especially get weakened from casting and then hooking into big fish. And uh, so this is, again, a small detail, but it's so important. I mean, it's one of the most important things. It's, it's what keeps you to that fish is that, that line that you're using or that knot that you've chosen. And uh, so checking your line with zebra mussels is, is important. Um, and then the other thing is when you're working these jigs, Travis, you've got to check. I always check the, the, the tip of the hook just to make sure that I didn't knurl that tip because mm. you'll, 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 you'll catch these edges here. We got a lot of bedrock on the, on the basin where we're working uh, a lot of rock, a lot of zebra mussels. So you'll, you'll run that jig in, you sit there and try to get it out. You get it out. You never check that hook. And here you got a neural on the tip of that hook where it's a blunt edge. And now you get that, that bite of a lifetime that we've all been waiting for and you get poor penetration you end up losing fish uh, because of poor penetration or just miss it. And again, this is a detail that you can't overlook. Working this hair jig, I don't know if there's necessarily a science to it as much as there is just having the confidence in what you're doing. I've, I've learned so much from the customer. I've had guys that are straight retrieving this very slowly along the bottom. Mm-hmm. I've had been watching people that are bringing in it much quicker than I am. And uh, they get bit. I typically, a lot of times, will use a one-turn revolution retrieve. So it's just, uh, I make it a long cast. I'm a firm believer in making sure you engage your bale just as the bait hits the water. Because 
you can get bid on that descent. And by, by not having that bail engaged right away, you can miss out on that opportunity. And uh, so that's number one. Mm. And then what I will do is let it hit. A lot of times let it sit, as I said, uh, for 10, 20, 30 seconds, sometimes longer. How many times, Travis, have you been out in the spring where you make this cast and all of a sudden you stop and you're talking to a guy and you're talking now for a while and you're just hanging on to the rod? Sure. And all of a sudden the rod rips out of your hand. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's not coincidental. Mm-hmm. That's technique. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen to what the fish are telling you. I, I've been many of times carrying on conversation with guests in the boat because that's what I need to do to help them. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, my rod's getting ripped out of my hand two and a half minutes later. Mm-hmm. Because that bass, you got to remember, they're one of the smallest fish that swim in the bottom of the lake. And they bring the biggest bite or the strongest punch out of anybody. You know as well as I do that if you've got a couple of dogs and you got one that's two pounds and another one that's 60 pounds, the two pounder <laughs> regulates everything. Sure. He, he He's not eating. That 60 pound dog's not eating until the two pounder says so. That's right. kind of a smallmouth. They, they, they got like a chip on their shoulder. Well, now all of a sudden, they're looking at this bait, this hair jig you got. It's going along the bottom, boop, right? It sits, boop. All you're doing is just aggravating them, antagonizing them, and eventually they can't stand it. If it sits there long enough, they're just like, all right, it, it's time for me to get this thing out of my space. And that's when you just get the rod ripped out of your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. What what length of that rod do you recommend? Are are you uh so I'm a seven plus. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, go with like a seven, two, seven, six, something with a medium light action, because that tip will really load up well. And I'm also a big advocate in leaving about two feet of line, two and a half feet of line between the bait and the tip of the rod to get that really loaded up so you can get it out there a lot further with a lot less effort is really what it comes down to. Now, can you go out there with a six, six medium white, uh six pound, two pound diameter line uh, with a 16th ounce hair jig and get it out there pretty far where, where it's going to work. Absolutely. The difference though, between that six, six and that seven, two are going to be the six, six dude's going to fatigue much quicker. And let me tell you, one of the reasons competitive bass angling you see a lot of these young guns doing what they're doing currently today is because they've got the stamina. I mean, Ricky Clun, man, I'll tell you what, never would take anything away from this dude. He's one of the best of the best that will ever hold a fishing rod. But for him to be doing what he's doing today at his age, it's off the charts. It's crazy. It really is. I mean, I look at like Jordan Lee, you know, mm-hmm. some of these guys that, that, that are young and, and up and coming, Brandon Polinek, you know, younger individual and up and, you know, doing really well. These guys are where they're at because they're, they're really good anglers, but their age is also helping them. Sure. No, I, <laughs> you know, I, I agree 100% with that statement. I often think about it as I get a little bit older as well, you know, even not just fishing, Dale, but just at night getting ready for a tournament or getting your boat organized. I'm in and out of that boat nonstop. Oh, I forgot something in the truck. Boom, boom, boom. How's Rick Clun do that? 
You know, that'd be yeah. no offense, yeah. but I mean, yeah. when you're 70, you know, geez. Uh, yeah. It's the wisdom that enables like a Ricky Klun sure. to be doing what he's doing. And, and you yeah. know, I mean, man, if you took what he's doing, if you could take him and put him in, take his knowledge and wisdom and put him in a Jordan Lee mm. <laughs> today, it's, you know, in his 20s. Sure. <laughs> Nobody would ever win again. <laughs> right, right. Just having that stamina and being able to, to fish, especially for smallmouth in, in these bodies of water. Again, you're talking Great Lakes. You're talking big waves. You're talking sometimes long runs. How do you prepare for for those types of situations? Because being a guide, of course, sometimes you can get out of the wind and there might be a good bite. But let's say you want to really get people on fish and, and you know whether it be you just want to go out and fun fish and you know there's some good fish that are going to be biting, but the conditions are pretty tough. I know you run a little bit bigger boat than than some bass guys as far as um you know how you approach that, but talk talk to me a little bit about that because that's important when you're on the big body of water and being prepared for anything that could come up when you're in those types of waves. You know that's that that's a great question. Um and and here's how I can start with that. I as a guide have have always been safety comes first. Uh that that's that that has to be it has to be that way. Uh, not only safety comes first, but leading by example. Uh, those, those two things are very near and dear to me. And uh, so, in, in situations like that, Travis, what you, what you need to what you need to do as a guide is be able to tailor the trip the best that you can around the abilities of the anglers that you have in the boat. So, for example, if I get somebody like yourself. And a couple of your friends that would come up to Sturgeon Bay and you want to go out and fish with me, looking around and seeing what the conditions are, aren't going to bother me. Uh, we could have three, four foot waves rolling in, winds blowing out of the northeast at 20. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put us on the best opportunities that I possibly can, which, by the way, is great weather mm-hmm. uh, to see big smallmouths. And uh, I'm going to take us out in that and, and not not even question what we're doing. But on the reverse side of that, on the, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if I get two guys that show up that are 65 years old and I have to help them to get into the boat, I'm going to need to change where we're going today. Sure. Uh, yeah. I might have to tuck into the Sturgeon Bay channel, you know, where, where I can maybe get a little bit of that wind yet to my advantage rolling around that corner, uh, heading towards Lake Michigan. And, but, but, but yet, I'm still keeping these guys safe mm-hmm. and uh, giving them the best opportunity that I can to put them on the best bite based off of their abilities. That's the great thing about coming to Sturgeon Bay is that no matter what conditions are to Travis, it's one of the few areas that I'm aware of probably in the United States or North America for that matter, where you can still get on a good bite and not have to deal with, have to worry about not putting the boat in the water. So yeah, uh, that, that kind of makes Sturgeon Bay unique. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's definitely places to get out of that wind. Because understanding mm-hmm. how to run these waves, I've been I've been very blessed. You know, I, I started Travis in a 13 and a half foot Montgomery Ward Sea King mm-hmm. with a seven and a half horse Mercury that sat on a single place tilt bed ski with snowmobile trailer. And I was like a message in the bottle out there right. in the middle of the night with a mag light in my mouth drooling as I was netting eight, nine, 10 plus pound walleyes. Wow. And uh, I learned how to 
run the waves in the dark. So when I started getting into competitive fishing and going to some of these areas on the Great Lakes that we did, Saginaw Bay, Michigan, uh, out of Henderson Harbor, New York, um, uh, Lake Erie, you know, where a calm day on Lake Erie is like five footers. <laughs> you know, that's a calm day. Mm-hmm. And uh, running that stuff during the day was really easy because I knew how to read the boat and what the boat was doing and um, understanding. And that's why people, you know, people will always ask, geez, why do you got to have a 250? Or why do you have to have 400 horsepower like I'm running currently today to run a 400 Verado on the back of my Nitro ZV21? It has nothing to do with the speed. It has to do with having the ability to not be dictated by big waves when weather moves in. And uh, having being able to have that power to be able to power up a wave, it, it, it's mm-hmm. you can't put a price on that because that that's where people get in trouble. They have too small of an out, outboard and they can't power up these waves uh, and, and buck that wind, if you will. And uh, that's where you start running into trouble. When the waves are controlling you, you've been out there too long. Dale, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I don't want to end yet because there's a couple key things I want to talk about. I do want to circle back around here and talk about these shallow water smallmouth and some of those patterns with you if we could. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The reason why I love the shallow bite, and it's interesting, I don't know, a lot of our regular viewers will probably see the same thing. A lot of these top anglers talk about that shallow bite and how much fun it is because it's truly addicting for me. The the reason why I love it, I I always refer to it as kind of like hunting where you have your trophy hunter, you're you're looking for that big buck. The same thing when you're up shallow, you're looking for your next personal best smallmouth. It, it could be just on the next grass flat or sand flat or whatever the case may be. He could be sitting there. So Walk me through that pattern. It's it's a very typical pattern throughout the Great Lakes region. Again, you know, these are all just incredible. I love these questions because it really is the footprint, if you will, of being able to put together uh, a great day on the water. And where I'm going to go with this, Travis, is maybe a little bit different. The one thing that I found is, again, I can't stress this enough. Too many guys come through and work an area way too quickly. That, that, that is such, such a mistake. Okay. Here's what I would tell the listener. If you want to become a better sturgeon bay angler or angler, just in general, these shallow water bites, I can't stress enough how great it is because it's not like watching paint dry or tennis rat. You can get out there, get bit, and get one. Get out, get bit, get one. It's, you're not working this deep water that's very methodical. It's it's super slow, and it takes a while to get to get good numbers. This is where your numbers game is at. It's going to be up in this shallow water. Odds on favorite are for high numbers of fish to put together good numbers of days. During those days, are going to be in that shallow water. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Slow down. What I want to say is this, one of the reasons that I would say that I can do what I do today with the customer, I've learned where the sweet spots are on this structure, (laughs) okay? Mm -hmm. And the reason that happens is because, number one, is I've worked these different areas for many, many of years, but more importantly is I've slowed down 
And I've learned that structure better than any chip that's made today. And that is, you can't put a price on that, is understanding the sweet spots. I see a lot of guys, and I'm, again, I live and breathe what happens out on the bay every day, um, whether it's open water or ice. I'm, I'm either in the winter chasing people down because they're heading to thin ice or they're heading to a bad area because they don't understand the area, or I'm watching guys come through on a piece of structure that I'm working on the sturgeon made flats and they've not even come close to anywhere that holds fish. Sure. They just come in, they, they breeze through, they don't get bit and they're off to the next spot. The best lesson that I can tell the, the listener is if you put the boat on the trailer and you only got a few fish, you're, you're going to learn the body of water better if you just slow down and take your time and start putting the Legos together to build the log cabin. Mm-hmm. You just you just can't start and build a le- and build the log cabin out of Legos or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You got to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Take your time, slow down, and really learn this structure because you're going to have an area, for example, where there's. Uh, a little inside turn on this piece of structure that's going to hold the five biggest fish that live there because it's a great ambush spot. Or you're going to have an area where it's, it's real gravelly and uh, they can, they can, you know, there's a lot of forage in there because uh, it's an area just where the gobies like to hang, or you're going to get an area where there's bigger rock, and uh, so whatever it might be, but you got to find those spots. And in order to find those spots, now we've got tools readily available to us today to help to help with that. Garmin, you know, they, they've got some cool stuff right now. Hummingbird's got some cool stuff, you know, with the side imagery mm-hmm. um, and seeing where the rocks are, you know, and stuff like that. Man, th- some of these tools um, are, are so important. And because uh, it really can shorten that learning curve. But, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, when they come in, the competitive anglers, you know, uh, when they come in, they spend many of many of hours graphing and, and never even wetting a line because they're learning the topography. People ask me, how do these guys come to Sturgeon Bay like they did last year? And just destroy the area, meaning catch all these huge fish within days, mm-hmm. just blow it up and set record after record because what they do, they come in, they don't actually fish. They just sit and go around graphing, studying and figuring it out because they know where smallmouth live. They just want to find out where they're at, where these sweet spots are. It was amazing how small Sturgeon Bay got. Mm-hmm in this last tournament where they broke all these records here, I'm going out and I'm thinking I'll be all right. I got all these spots, right? Right. Every spot I went to, there was a guy sitting. Uh huh. <laughs> they figured it out just like, you know, like that. And I'm yeah. like, my God, it's taken me years to get, you know, figure this stuff out. And uh, here they are in, day, in a matter of days and, and just finding the best spots on the spots and, and, and just catching all these huge numbers of fish. And, uh, it, I was even amazed, you know, I mean, 
to see some of these weights that came in, mm-hmm. it was uh, it was so impressive. And, you know, and, and kudos to those guys, you know, for what they do and how they do it. Um, I, I I watched so many of these guys, uh, very respectful, uh, appreciative of the area. Sometimes the the competitive angler doesn't always get the pat on the back that they should because so many of these guys today are uh, just incredible advocates of looking out for the fisheries, uh, respecting them, making sure that these fish are put back and uh, released. And I love this new format, you know, that they're using. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to either one, but I do love the fact that, you know, that these guys, because I still love myself to go to a weigh-in, like at the Bassmaster Classic, Mm-hmm. and watch Hank Jerry raise them fish up when he won the classic last year. Sure. Uh, our boy from Mercury over there. Love that. Yep. I mean, that was, that was so cool, but I also understand, you know, times are changing and, and we get, we get some new looks and, and how fishing's going, you know, with the, with the other tournament uh, where they're just, you know, catching them and letting them go right there and duking it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the whole thing is, is great, but um, slow down, Learn the areas and uh, don't look at how many fish you caught as much as what you learned today, uh, because that's more important and what you learned today than going back and trying to get 35 likes with all these fish that you caught. And we're, we're getting a little skewed that way. I would say we're, people are so concerned about getting 40, 50, 75 likes with, you know, uh, some of these things when they're really not working on their craft mm-hmm. and that's figuring out these fisheries and the dynamics of them and how they lay out so you can have a better experience. Yeah. I, I cannot argue with that. It just, you know, to me, it sounds like really it's, it's time behind the seat, your electronics, your shallow game that we were talking about. I just can imagine for years, you probably got up there on them nice, sunny, calm days and 10 feet or less. And you just, you just went, you looked, you looked, you looked, you picked apart this shoreline one day, the next, that one next year, you're in this bay following year. And you just expand. Is, is that kind of how it, how it goes down? A- absolutely. Travis. And the mm-hmm. one thing, you know, that, that, that we had talked about when we started before we got going, when we just started talking with each other here a little while ago, you had mentioned that this has been super fun for you. Uh, really exciting. You know, you're getting to talk to a lot of these guys, you know, really getting down to the nitty gritty nuts and bolts, if you will, of what makes them who they are and you're learning. Uh, right. You've learned a lot. And uh, the thing I wanted to mention is, you know, the great thing about me being a guide, I look at me with my guide services. Thank God it was for all my customers because I've learned so much from the customers. I stated to you, because I look at myself as like I'm a, a proving grounds for simplicity garden tractors. And what I mean by that is you got simplicity garden tractors. They make a tractor. They send it over this, this uh, one part of the company and they said, hey, guys, go break this thing. And, and the reason they do that is to make a better product so they can improve on their product. All my customers are my proving grounds. I mean, I've got all these these different techniques that are readily available to me, but I have to make adjustments to these techniques according to the customer. I've got to try to tailor 
what this is to their their ability and what that's done looking back after 35 years is it's made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned so much from the customer and uh, I can now take somebody that's new to fishing in six hours and put them on a smallmouth of a lifetime. Right. Where when I started doing that years ago, I could have never done that. Um, I, I just didn't have the foundation. I didn't have the knowledge, um, the experience, wisdom, whatever you want to refer to it as. And the great thing about this sport, Travis, no matter, you know, I was fortunate enough to be inducted into the freshwater fishing hall of fame here in 2014. Um, I got a call. I was up in, uh, on Lake Michigan. And uh, next thing I know, I see it's the hall of fame. I pick up and it's the president of the hall of fame. He says, Hey, I just want to let you know that you've been inducted into the freshwater fishing hall of fame. Super cool. My customers in the boat are sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a deer in the headlights uh-huh. or I'm catching flies. I'm just kind of like, Sure. And uh, I, I actually teared up. Uh, and, um, but all of those things that have happened, my point is this I'm still learning today. Mm. And that's what I love about the sport. You're, you're, we're never going to know it all. Um, and that's the cool thing about it. And the, the thing I love is the challenges that every day presents from or during the day from going from, calm to rough from overcast to sunny um uh, an east wind and everybody's like ooh, east wind you know i gotta put the boat on a trailer hmm. uh, you know the, these types of things many of times now i can overcome and uh here's another thing i want to share with the listener keep the same level of excitement on that first cast that you make in the morning that you do before you put it on the boat, mm-hmm. put the boat on the trailer will make you a better angler because we can, you can never give up. That's the one thing that I've taken away from competitive fishing. I understand that I've been out here five, six hours today, hypothetically mm-hmm. still haven't got a bite. My level of excitement is what it was when I put the boat in the water. Because I know that I'm this much closer yep. to putting that day together. Sure. And it's just, it's the next spot, it's the next cast, or it's that different lure that I've chosen that's going to now put the pieces of the puzzle together for that that afternoon. Yep. That's going to make the outcome. And the great thing about those days You've been out there five, six, seven, eight hours without a bite, and you get that bite. Mm-hmm. You know as well as I do, right, Travis? Right. Everything's been forgotten. Sure. Yep. <laughs> it's all better now. It's like yep. the eight hours that you never caught anything never existed. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, that's the truth. That's the truth. Man, fascinating conversation. Uh, we are getting low on time. I got to get through two more questions that we ask everybody on the podcast. And uh, first, I want to know. What's your biggest personal best smallmouth? Okay. And then second of all, if you had one bait to use for the rest of your life for smallmouth, what would it be? All right. Let me see if I can pull this up. Sure. How cool is this? Oh, that is very cool. My wife 
My wife had this made for me. This oh, isn't my biggest, cool. but it's seven and a quarter, 22 inches. Nice. This is actual, it's a, it's a pencil sketch and oh. uh, it's really awesome. That was my second biggest smallmouth that I caught in my lifetime. My biggest has been seven and a half. And, uh, but anyhow, I just wanted to share that. No, that's I, very cool. What I love about this, Travis, is that that fish is back, hopefully still alive yet today. Right. And to me, when I caught this fish, this was my first seven pounder of my life. Dude, I got to tell you something. I never teared up so much out of any fish that I've ever caught from this fish because it was such a goal of mine to get a seven plus. Yeah. And uh, I put him in the live well for about an hour and I thought about it and thought about it. And I thought, you know, God darn it. I've worked 33 years as a guide to catch this fish. And this fish deserves to be back in the water. And uh, so I let him go to see another day, which I think is so important. Yep. And, uh, but to have this yet today of that fish, I think was awesome. So sure. my, my big, my biggest fish to date though, was uh, seven and a half pounds. Yeah. The crazy thing about that fish is this. I caught that on August 1st, which, you know, yeah. the fish have no, no feedback. Yeah. What would that, there, there, that would have been a, that's, that's, that's a heavy fish in the spring or fall. I mean, big. Yeah. I mean, I mean, guys a were pound like, and a half, right. To that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, guys are like seven and a half. whoop de doo wow. I'm like, you do realize that this fish was caught August 1st. This isn't a five and a half pounder, six pounder, you know, that's caught in the spring. That's now seven and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I believe in my in my heart of hearts that that fish would have been a state record yeah. fish, which is nine pounds uh, come yep. springtime. Yep. Yeah. Once they build up the feed and those the sacks are full, you know, spawn. So that's my biggest fish. Wow. And wow. By one bait. Yes, one bait. I know it's it's you know we're pretending here. Yeah, but I, I just I, I want to know like what would basically what this question is getting to is like what is one technique or one specific bait that you have like so much confidence in that you would throw it it wouldn't phase you to just have to use it for one year to catch smallmouth. Okay, so here's what's cool about this. And I and I don't want to get too long because I know we've run we've run a long time and no, I'm 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 kind of long-winded as you if you if you notice. <laughs> um because you know what? The passion for this sport between you and me is off the charts. Sure. And yeah. uh, that's why we do what we do. Right. And that's why, you know, I'm not a yes, no guy. When people message me on Facebook, I write them back a novel. Uh -huh. My wife's like, my God, how do you do that? <laughs> I, I've been there for an hour and a half. You know, the guy asked me what kind of line to use, and sure. I, I've been there for an hour and a half. Yep. But, I, but that's what I believe in. And uh, But anyhow... I met this guy a few years ago and uh, you may have Mercury, which is really cool. Just did a full spread on him. And uh, the guy's 80 years old and I, I fish with him every year, Travis, 30 days. He takes five in May, June, July, August, September, and October. He takes six nights lodging with each one of his trips and he books in before he leaves each year. Guy's 80 years old. Mm -hmm. We fish mamas from dark to dark for five days. 30 days in the summer, five days each trip. And this guy shows up one day about six years ago, 
and he outfished me. I mean, he cleaned my clock. Uh huh. And I'm like, all right, I've got to figure out what this Ned craze is all about. Okay, the, Ned sure. the Ned craze, right? Yeah. I knew about the Ned rig. Wasn't a big believer in it. But when the dude put a seven and a quarter in the boat and a six and three quarter and a bunch of fives over a week's time, he didn't even know it, but I started taking him to the spots. I never caught fish because <laughs> right. he was, he was like just automatic. Sure. So I start, I start working this Ned rig and here's what I'm going to tell you. 33 years or 30 some years of guiding, right? I'm not afraid to admit I've had numerous days uh, where I never caught fish over my career. Uh, just happened, put the boat on a trailer and couldn't put the day together. And uh, just, it, it's part of fishing. Unfortunately, it does happen. Mm -hmm. I don't care who we are. And um, I've gone through all these different stages in my abilities and techniques. Um, and, so I thought, well, I'm going to figure out this Ned rig. So next time Art shows up, we, I can show him I can mm -hmm. run with him because I'm still competitive. Sure. <laughs> oh, I, my wife loves it, Travis, because when I come home and I'm doing this, you know, I got the, uh -huh. I got the lip going. Right. You're trying to figure tell me She goes, she goes, uh, let me guess. Art out fished you today. Uh -huh. I go, she got me again. Uh-huh. You know, and, uh, because the one thing that this guy does, and I've learned so much from him, and you've heard this many of times today, he's methodical. He's as, a, he's as anal as the day is long, glues every one of his Ned rigs on with a very specific amount of glue. Mm -hmm. He's got his towel he lays out to clean off the end of the glue bottle. The detail of this sure. guy, I love it because I feel as though I'm looking in the mirror, God willing, when I'm that when when I'm Art's age. Mm -hmm. I, that's how I am. I pay attention to detail. But this guy is so slow. Everything he does is super slow. And many of times he's he'll get the biggest fish in the week's time. It's it's amazing. Cause I still, it's like Skeet. I took Skeet out this year with Art mm. and uh, Skeet Reese, and Skeet, Skeet looked at Art. And he goes, "Dude, I, I just I can't fish that slow, <laughs> you know." Right. And uh, and Art outfished both of us. Jeez. And because uh, because he's so methodical, you know, he just takes his time. Nothing bothers him. Patience. He's got. He knows he's got patience. This guy was an eye doctor. That's what he did. He, he did uh, eye surgeries. Mm. And, uh, but anyhow, here's what I've learned about the Ned rig. I've not ever put the boat on the trailer now here in the last few years without catching smallmouth. In my career here in Sturgeon Bay, I've never caught a seven pound smallmouth. Now I have two of them. So if you were to ask me which bait I ever was going to go and fish with, Come spring, summer, or fall, which I do, it's the Ned Rig. Yeah. And there's so much to it, it's unbelievable. Right. I mean, I'm watching this guy putting a 30-second ounce jig into his Ned Rig and, and, and working this on the bottom. 
and, and he's bringing in five and three quarters, six and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you want to catch, I'm not saying being one dimensional is the way to go, but to answer your question, yeah. if I was ever to have one bait to catch a lot of fish with, not only smallmouths, I've got many of walleyes on this. Big muskies up here have caught on it. I've got northern pike on it. If you know, if you get them in the hinge, mm-hmm. um, there's something about that cadence that if Roland Martin was to bring up the helicopter lure today, mm-hmm. and you were to do an infomercial, I would do an infomercial on this cadence with the Ned rig because it's. It truly is that good. Yeah. I cannot argue that. In fact, uh, you know, listeners and viewers of this show, uh, that was a, uh, some of the top anglers out there, high level pros. That is the answer that they have, uh, they have given us quite a bit. And I'm not going to argue that I'm a, I'm a Nedhead fanatic, man. I love it because it suits my style. I like that slow, just like you were saying. Um, I'll fish that thing deep too. Okay. I don't oh, yeah. mind. I don't mind, but well, it does well, take Katie, some patience. You know, designed it to be in like six feet of water and less, you yeah. know, I mean, it really yep. was where it was to be. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right, dude. I, I'm out in 30 some feet of water with this thing yeah. and, and just crushing them. Yep. Now, it's like watching paint dry when you get out there, but mm-hmm. there's something to be said about putting the boat on the trailer at the end of the day with the big numbers that you have. Want to find out how people can get a hold of you, whether it be just to follow what you're doing or perhaps book a trip with you up in the Door County, Sturgeon Bay area. Dale at wackywalleye.com. Okay. Yeah, they can get a hold of us there. That's my email. Uh, if they want to get a hold of me uh, at the resort, we're, we're Sand Bay Beach Resort and Suites. Our toll free number would be 888 879 5548. Again, that's 888 879 5548. And, and please, by all means, uh, like my Dale Strohschein fan page on Facebook. Don't ever hesitate to message me because I will give you specific coordinates, locations, techniques. I'm not that guy. I'm not holding. People are like, I many have times gotten in the boat, take pictures of actual coordinates and where to go. And uh, I'm all about paying it forward, man, because we've all learned from somebody uh, and I, I don't want to lose that quality or that trade in this fishing industry. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't want to be that guy because I, mm-hmm. I'd be hypocritical. I've, uh, we've all learned from others. And, uh, you know, Travis, man, uh, I've watched you grow up as well and, and become who you are today. And, uh, you know, th- th- these podcasts, I think, are awesome. I, I know you're, you've been competitively fishing. You've been in BASS. Mm-hmm. You've, you're still doing a, a lot of different things today and, and helping uh, move the needle in this fishing business. And uh, man, kudos to you because uh, w- what a great life, right? I mean, what, right, what a great right. thing to be doing, to be sharing our passion like we do with others so they can go out and have a better experience. Yes, this, this has been great. And one thing, you know, Dale, that I always respected about you is, is the fact of how you work with with sponsors and, and representing some of these companies that keep us out on the water. Uh, you're not one to jump ship every few years. Uh, you, you've had some really steady support behind you. Uh, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, the companies that, that keep you on the water as well. 
Well, you know, the Bass Pro Shops, uh, I, I was with Ranger Boats through my competitive career. I was their poster child, me and Ted Takasaki back, back in the day. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to leave and go over to uh, Tracker Boats many, many years ago. Um, and it was one of the best moves I've ever made. Bass Pro has been they're, they're such a great company, Cabela's, Bass Pro slash Cabela's. You know, um, and, and all the things Johnny Morris is doing over there. I mean, I, I can't commend this individual enough for giving, you know, people like myself these opportunities to be doing what we're currently doing today. Um, man, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I've been such, so, it's been such an honor. Mercury Marine, for example, 33 years, wow. Travis, that I've, I've been with them. Started with Mariner, uh, mm -hmm. switched over to Mercury. I've been with you and a couple of your buddies down at the Classic now for the last number of years. I'm seeing the Bassmaster Classic for Mercury Marine. If somebody would have told me that I would have had that opportunity uh, to be doing that and rubbing shoulders with, you know, the guys that I do like yourself and Edwin Evers and Chris Lane and, and, and all these different guys, it's, it's mm -hmm. to be sitting in the booth introducing Roland Martin Hank Parker sure. yep. and Bill Dance, like somebody pinch me. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, how cool is that? And to, and to see the integrity and the professionalism that these guys just, it just comes out of their body. Like I don't need like sweat after a good workout. These guys are just, they treat everybody with the utmost respect Tracker off road. We we uh, Johnny just brought in Tracker off road here a few years ago, and you talk about being humbled. I get called in to go down to to corporate Missouri, and I'm sitting there with Edwin Evers on stage at top of the rock during a Dirks Bentley concert. Sure. With Edwin Evers, Kevin Van Dam, and Ot Defoe, and myself, and Johnny's giving us. Oh, I don't have it right now. These awards, the four of us, for our accomplishments and what we've done with the company and how we've helped uh, over all the years. I, I don't even know how to put that into words. It's sure. it's, it's pretty surreal. Uh, and I hate to throw that out there because I think that gets used a little loosely. But these are people that I really looked up to, all of them. And... Um, you know, I mean, in the 40th anniversary for Bass Pro, I'm sitting on stage, Bill Dance, uh, Hank Parker, all these guys. I'm up on stage with these guys. And Johnny had us, Ricky Clun, Tim Horton, um, mm -hmm. Stacy King. You know, I'm looking at all these guys as we're standing up on stage. Kevin, Jonathan Van Dam. And we all got to give a speech to all the dealers throughout the country. And I almost felt like I didn't belong there. I'm just a little hillbilly that grew up in the middle of <laughs> Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Right, right. And and, and uh, you can't put that in words. And no. let me tell you something. If anybody ever said that there would be anything, I'd go back and change. Absolutely not. Wow. This has been a great ride. I encourage the young kids to get involved in fishing. Uh, you don't have to necessarily do what you and I are doing or some of these people that I've mentioned, mm -hmm. but it's a great outlet. It keeps you grounded. 
it's it's a great sport and uh it gives you good just balance in life you know and um to go out and fish in the afternoon or with some of your friends or neighbors can't put a price on that kind of stuff no no fishing brings so many people together and families together just boating in general uh and you know between mercury nitro um Bass Pro Shops, Tracker Off Road now, Jiffy Ice Drills, um, Abu Garcia Fenwick. You know, some of these companies, I've been there basically my entire life, Frable, Plano. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, it's, and I've, I've always believed, and everybody does things different, and I'm not slighting anybody, but I've always, ma- I've, I've kind of made my bed because one thing I have a lot of integrity and pride in what I do, and to put my name on a product, you you can't pay me enough to believe in it. I have to believe sure. in it, yeah. or I'm 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 going to find something else. Yes, and that's just who I am. But look at Mercury Marine. I mean, uh, Travis. I mean, here's a company that when I started competitive fishing, there was nobody else. Mm. Everett yeah. wasn't there. Johnson wasn't there. Yamaha, and I'm not taking anything away from these other brands. But Mercury has been behind the angler ever since the infantile stages of competitive fishing. Very true. And and to me, that was a big deal. Because you know as well as I do, we're going to have failures with products. It's just it's part of what we do. But as a competitive angler, when you have a breakdown and you don't have tech support, your year's done. Sure. Yep. Making the championship or making the classic. That's where all my incentive monies were when I was competing and stuff. That's That was a big deal. And if you have one bad tournament because of uh, something failure on your, on your outboard, I'm not being biased here at all. But in my 33 years of being with Mercury Outboard, I mean, I can't even remember. I, I, I think I had one prop shaft break a year, maybe seven years ago. Uh, we had an issue with some hardening of prop shafts. Um, but as far as a catastrophic failure, I hydro locked my, my, my 350 Verado one day out on the Bay of Green Bay, brought it home, got the water out of the cylinders. Every, normally that takes out a crank on any engine because as the piston comes forward, it can't burn off the water and it takes out the crank. Um, never had an issue. I mean, the the reliability of the Mercury brand and and the tech support um, and the look at the evolution of this brand and what they've done now with this new generation of four strokes. It's it's amazing. And uh, you look at the people that they've got behind that brand. I mean, you know, Travis, we go to a Bassmaster Classic, you see the top 50. It's crazy how many Mercury's are sitting in the parking lot. Sure, that's true. <laughs> Pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and and uh it's just it, it's just a great brand and and they believe in the angler. They 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 support so many different uh tournaments and they're always working on, you know, bettering themselves with their brand and um you know, here it's based out of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Right. You know, right back here in my 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 mm-hmm. home uh, backyard, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't be prouder to to be behind some of these brands that I am 
And I, and I publicly want to thank them because the safety, the reliability, and the peace of mind that I have when I leave the dock or I get stuck in a storm with the brands that I've had backing me all these years, I, I, I just wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Man, good stuff. Dale, <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation. Very, very interesting. A lot of good tips that these anglers can apply, you know, in the future. And your passion really comes through here. And we certainly, uh, we appreciate you coming on the, uh, the podcast, uh, this week. And, and one last thing guys and gals out there, I'm going to leave with you is the only one that can stop you from doing what you want to do with your life is yourself. So don't be afraid to take that jump because, uh, if you put your mind to it, sky's the limit, man. Good advice, Dale. Thank you very much, guys. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.